Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Velarkis, and I'm an expert fertility and pregnancy dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, an award-winning digital nutrition practice dedicated to reproductive health, fertility, and pregnancy nutrition. And today I am super excited to be bringing you our brand new one month long series in honor of PCOS Awareness Month, which is September. We did this earlier in the year with March with Endometriosis Awareness Month, and it was such a big hit. And as PCOS is one of the most common reproductive health conditions that affects females of reproductive age, and is one of the most common concerns that we see at the Dietologist too, I felt it was only natural to do this in September for PCOS Awareness Month. So I have previously recorded an episode about PCOS and nutrition, which is all the way back in season one, which I'll link below, which might be some good background before we get into this series. So just a brief introduction to the series. Over the next four episodes, we will be exploring different facets of PCOS and nutrition and management with a variety of different guests. Today's episode is a solo episode with yours truly, and I'll be unpacking androgens and how to lower them using diet and lifestyle strategies. Next week, we have our new team dietitian and nutritionist, Candice Crelin, APD, who has just joined the dietologist team who has years of expertise in management of insulin resistance, prediabetes, and diabetes after over 10 years of being a dietitian. So we're going to pick her brains about the topic around insulin resistance and regulating your period with PCOS. I also have an interview with integrative fertility specialist, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, also known as the funny mechanic about managing PCOS when trying to conceive and all your fertility questions being answered on that front. And finally, we discuss lean PCOS with endocrinologist, Dr. Izzy Smith. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? I'm super excited to kick off this series. Now, a big reminder before we get stuck into this series on this episode that every person with PCOS is truly unique, and that is because PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. The word syndrome is particularly pertinent here because that means it is a collection of symptoms, and you don't need to have every symptom to have PCOS. So for some of you, you won't even struggle with this topic of high androgens and related symptoms at all. Whilst for others, this could be one of the biggest and most problematic symptoms that you face with your PCOS. 
Anyway, my point is, if you want a personalized nutrition plan to help you optimize your management of PCOS, to help enhance the symptom management, regulate your cycle, and improve your long-term health risks, yes, sadly, there's an increased risk of developing a number of chronic health concerns with PCOS, particularly type 2 diabetes later in life, alongside your fertility, then please get booked in with us at The Dietologist. The link is in our show notes. Candice is our resident PCOS dietitian. She would love to support you in a one-on-one Zoom session. And yes, we do consult globally online and you will get a personalized nutrition and supplementation plan to suit your needs based on your goals and symptom profile, lab work, and every anything else that we need to take into account. We truly have to factor in so many different things. It's not as simple as a cookie cutter meal plan. Now, before we get stuck into today's episode about androgens specifically and how to lower them with PCOS, a really brief overview of what PCOS is all about for some background knowledge. So like I said, PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. It is a collection of symptoms that really is defined as a hormonal disturbance or dysfunction. It is usually quite oversimplified in my opinion, but is actually quite a complex condition and in fact has nothing to do with ovarian cysts at all. PCOS affects about 8 to 13% of the female of reproductive age population, and many as high as up to 70% remain undiagnosed. The criteria for diagnosis is known as the Rotterdam criteria, and you need to fulfill two out of three of the following to qualify for a diagnosis of PCOS. There is no single test that tells you you're positive for PCOS or negative for PCOS. It is a collection of different factors. So the first is an irregular menstrual cycle, usually a long cycle of greater than 35 days. That's pretty consistently irregular. Um, Sometimes they can become more frequent, less than 21 days, although I would say that's generally less common with PCOS, that typically they tend to run long. The next criteria is biochemical or symptom evidence of high androgens. Biochemical means a blood test. So we're going to go right into detail about androgens today, but key symptoms include acne, hair growth, and hair loss. The third criteria is having polycystic ovarian appearance of the ovaries (laughs) uh, on a pelvic ultrasound. So This actually refers to having a high number of immature follicles, which are going to potentially become eggs on an ultrasound scan. It is not actually a cyst, as in a fluid-filled, you know, cavity. And oftentimes, a lot of people are mislabeling themselves as having ovarian cysts with PCOS when that is actually completely separate um, potential issues. So you can have dermoid cysts, you can have simple cysts, you can have endometriomas, which are often referred to as ovarian cysts um, that need to be managed completely differently And usually with a completely different set of medical management strategies, sometimes including surgery that need to be looked at that have really zero to do with PCOS. So just keep that in mind. Um, The terminology is really frustrating. It's sonographer terminology um, and people often get it confused. So when we're talking about PCOS, we are referring to a high number of potential immature follicles. So you need to meet two out of three of those criteria. You do not need to meet all three to get a diagnosis. However, if you only have one and none of the others, then 
you know, that doesn't mean you have PCOS. Um, a lot of people get clucked. Uh, like in clinic that I see get classed as question mark PCOS or, you know, you have a PCOS tendency, which it's, it's not really helpful in my opinion, because then people feel stuck as to know what to do in terms of their management. So definitely getting a proper diagnosis and ruling it in or out is key. Common symptoms, like I said, are regular menstrual cycles, often delays in ovulation, which can then make cycles run long, fewer chances to conceive. So that's where the fertility piece comes in. Some people don't have periods or ovulation at all. Um, so sometimes there's years and years that go by without periods. Excessive facial or body hair growth or both, often called hirsutism. Acne, hair loss from your head, scalp hair loss. Delays to conceiving. Mood changes, including anxiety and depression. Difficulties losing weight um, and also sleep apnea, which is a condition where you don't breathe optimally at nighttime when you're asleep. So you don't wake up feeling very refreshed. Now, you could have one or, you know, one of these symptoms and still have PCOS. So just keep that in mind. You don't need to tick all these boxes to meet the criteria. And we do dive into lean PCOS in a future episode. So um, I know there's a lot of weight centric chat in this space. So for those who don't carry any extra body weight, um, this that episode with Dr. Izzy is a must listen. Now let's unpack some of the most common treatment strategies that are used for PCOS. So a really common one, particularly for those who aren't trying to conceive, is often we're put on the birth control pill. Um, and look, there are certainly some decent reasons for this, particularly helping to at least shed some of the uterine lining, even though it's a withdrawal bleed, we all know that. But that uterine lining being built up if months, you know, three, four months go past without a period um, can increase your risk for some cancers. So we want to make sure that that is at least being shed, whether you're on the pill or not. Um, so the pill is very commonly used, but obviously not relevant if you're actively trying to conceive or planning to start trying to conceive soon and you want to get on top of your period regulation in advance. The other strategies include insulin sensitizing strategies. So typically that's the prescription of metformin, which is a medication that helps your body deal with carbohydrates a bit better and helps with insulin resistance management. Medications to help with hair growth or hirsutism. So spironolactone is commonly used because it blocks the effects of androgens on the hair follicles to treat hirsutism. Lifestyle support, so dietary changes and physical activity, and often weight reduction is also recommended if there is excess body fat. And why is that? So because of the hormonal dysregulation that comes along with PCOS, reducing body fat can help reduce some of those excess hormones, particularly estrogen, which excess adipose tissue can produce. And so there is a benefit to reinstating regular ovulation to reducing some body fat. Now, that does not mean you need to lose 50 kilos, it may just mean a small amount of weight loss. It's much easier said than done. And often people are frustrated with PCOS that they're being dismissed as go away and lose some weight like it's so easy. But particularly when you have insulin resistance and a number of the symptoms of PCOS, uh, it can be incredibly challenging to just quote unquote lose weight. Um, and so people need a lot more guidance and support with actually managing the 
the, the underlying issues that underpin PCOS first and foremost to actually then enable any kind of weight change to occur. In addition, people with PCOS are much more susceptible to developing eating disorders and disordered eating patterns. So giving that kind of advice without context is potentially very harmful. And so we need to be really aware of that. And I think this is really the strength of a great dietitian in the PCOS space who can assess all that and assess the person's goals. And we can still make meaningful changes to your health and well-being from a nutrition and lifestyle standpoint in a weight-neutral manner that still gets a benefit to your PCOS. It's I see it happen quite a bit. Um, and so it's very possible. So just putting that out there, um, I will also link my previous podcast episode, which is a candid conversation about weight uh, in the show notes below and fertility, um, because I think that would be a great companion episode to today's one as well. Okay, now that that is behind us, all the PCOS background, let's get into androgens. So remember, not everyone with PCOS has androgen-related symptoms like hair growth on the back, tummy, chin, face or elsewhere, hair loss from the scalp and or acne. So what are androgens? Androgens are a group of sex hormones. They're typically understood to be testosterone when we say androgens, but they're certainly more than just testosterone. It is important to remember that people of all genders and sexes have androgens, just some make more than others. Now, in people with female reproductive systems, the ovaries are responsible for making androgens alongside the adrenal glands, which sit on top of the kidneys. Androgens have an important role to play in females. Androgens can be converted to estradiol, which is a form of estrogen, which helps regulate menstruation, aids in conception and pregnancy, prevents against bone loss or osteoporosis because estrogen has that great protective effect and stimulates normal pubertal development. Androgens, particularly testosterone, actually naturally peaks around the time of ovulation in a normal menstrual cycle and can help contribute to an increase in libido around this time to aid with conception too. Handy. However, excess androgens can contribute to symptoms of acne, hair growth, and hair loss with some people, which some people with PCOS will experience as well. Can also contribute to the follicles in the ovaries not quite developing into that dominant follicle that needs to be released, that one egg that needs to be released from the ovary to potentially conceive, and contributing to that polycystic appearance on pelvic ultrasound. They aren't actually cysts, remember, they're eggs in waiting. So people with PCOS are actually much more likely as well to, when they do ovulate, that they're much more likely to potentially ovulate more than one egg. So often that is seen a lot uh, when undergoing fertility treatments um, and ovarian stimulation. How do you know your androgens are a problem for your PCOS? Well, there are two main ways to know if your androgens are a problem with your PCOS. The first are blood tests. So it's often called an androgen panel. This is usually dysfunctional in Um, those with PCOS. So the ones that you're looking out for are free testosterone, the free androgen index or FAI, and the sex hormone binding globulin or SHBG. You can also sometimes get additional tests done like DHEAS um, or DHEA as well. So speak to your doctor about getting those tests, particularly if you suspect that you have symptoms of high androgen. Speaking of symptoms, here are some to look out for. Acne, Hair growth in places such as the chin, upper lip, 
back, tummy, usually a little bit of a snail trail or elsewhere. Now, Hair growth is particularly tricky um, if you have an ethnicity that is has a higher propensity to have more hair growth. And the reason why I laugh is because I am Greek and we are known to be decently hairy people. Um, so you have to take it into context. So it can sometimes be really tricky to work out. So if you're concerned, have a conversation with your doctor and there are ways to get your level of hair growth assessed. Um, A lot of people also undergo things like laser and waxing and threading. So, you know, the symptom is almost, you know, removed before it's even assessed kind of thing. So just keep all that in mind as well. Also note that hair loss can be a symptom of other health conditions such as hypothyroidism, alopecia, and other concerns. So make sure that this is all ruled out appropriately. And PCOS should be, you know, a diagnosis that is made once any other concerns are also excluded first and foremost, which Dr. Izzy talks more about in her episode as well. So how can I lower androgens naturally? Well, lowering androgens for PCOS usually involves a coordinated approach that targets not just the androgens themselves, but also the management of insulin resistance and blood glucose levels, as well as the androgens themselves. So with that aside, here are a few quick tips to help reduce your androgens using food and nutrition. Get your notepad or the note section of your phone at the ready, because I am going to be hitting you with some very practical tips tips. First one is spearmint tea. Not peppermint, not three mint, spearmint. Two cups per day have been researched to reduce total and free testosterone levels in those with PCOS. And within 30 days, the participants found a significant reduction in their hirsutism or hair growth. A much smaller study of 12 people with PCOS over just five days who were given two cups of spearmint tea during their follicular phase or the first half of the menstrual cycle showed that testosterone levels were reduced. So it can work pretty quick and it's a pretty cheap way to help your PCOS. You can find 100% spearmint tea in some health food stores, most online retailers, and you need two cups daily. It doesn't matter if it's hot, cold, room temp. Some ice mint tea in the summer is truly delightful in my opinion. Um, and give it a go. Number two, improving blood glucose levels and insulin resistance management. High circulating insulin levels exacerbates the ovarian dysfunction and interferes with androgen production too. So it can be a bit of a vicious cycle if you've also got insulin resistance going on, which affects about up to 85% of people with PCOS. So getting your blood glucose management under wraps with diet and exercise and other strategies such as a moderate carbohydrate diet with a focus on slow release or low glycemic index carbohydrates can be a helpful start. One study showed that enhanced blood glucose level management can improve testosterone levels in those with PCOS. Number three, flax seeds. About 30 grams of ground flax seeds, make sure you store them in the fridge to protect those fats from going rancid, may help with the hormone profile in those with PCOS, particularly in the luteal phase. Number four, omega-3s. Boost them. You already know how obsessed I am with oily fish and omega-3s, and I have a whole podcast episode about it, but boosting your healthy fats from from fish like salmon, ocean trout, mackerel, sardines, and anchovies at least twice per week for a benefit. Studies have been conducted using supplements at around 3,000 milligrams per day, and it has shown that testosterone concentration reduces in the omega-3 group. 
Next tip, nuts, especially walnuts, can actually help boost SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, and thus helps to reduce androgen levels. You will need about 30 grams of nuts daily to see a benefit, which is about a small handful or a quarter cup. Number six, make sure those vitamin D levels are optimal. Ensuring you're getting adequate vitamin D, which you need to check with a blood test before you consider any kind of supplements, because remember, there is a small risk of vitamin D toxicity as it is a fat-soluble vitamin, but great vitamin D levels can help manage testosterone levels. And number seven, inositol. Studies of the supplement inositol, which is a B vitamin-like nutrient, can help enhance insulin resistance management and blood glucose levels. And studies have shown that it may help reduce testosterone alongside many other parameters that are relevant to PCOS. I have a comprehensive blog post on this topic, which I'll link in the show notes for you too. But as always, before you start supplementing or changing your diet drastically, make sure you speak to a dietitian like us here at The Dietologist to make sure that you are being looked after and everything is tailored to you. Just because it's on a podcast, even by an evidence-based professional, doesn't mean it is applicable to your situation. And don't forget, outside of nutrition, sleeping enough, managing stress, exercising, especially muscle strengthening and resistance-based training like weights are particularly helpful in the management of PCOS alongside the above to help reduce androgens too. It isn't a magic bullet to just eat some flax seeds and drink some spearmint tea and job done. We need to work on this all the way around to get long-term benefits and outcomes to your PCOS management and those androgen symptoms. It sounds easy in theory, but in practice, we know it can be challenging and that's okay. So if you need some more support, book in for a one-on-one Zoom consultation from anywhere in the world for your personalized nutrition and supplementation plan for managing your PCOS. The link will be in the show notes. And I cannot wait to catch you in the next part of the PCOS Awareness Series on the pod, all about helping to regulate your period with PCOS using nutrition with our new team dietitian, Candice Crellin. If you enjoyed this episode, please, 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 can you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast streaming platform? Leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It makes the world of difference to us reaching more people. Literally, the weeks where we get reviews, we shoot up the charts and Whilst it's a nice ego boost for me, actually being on the charts means that more people are likely to tune in and listen. And we're going to save them from the Google rabbit hole that I've saved you from. And I mean, we we all need less Google rabbit hole and more sensible advice in our lives, don't we? And don't forget to share it with anyone who you think might enjoy the listen to. I'll catch you in the next episode, everyone. Bye. <laughs>